Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program that covered the entirety of Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, we return to Book 2, Spirits with No More Elements to Learn. Surely the Avatar has some time off to relax and keep the peace. Oh no! An evil uncle, you say? Weeks away from a harmonic convergence? What a disaster! Help us, Matt, Dave, Devendra, and Joanna. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Republic City Dispatch. We're back, and today we're going to talk about book two in its entirety. Legend of Korra is streaming on Netflix now. I guess we're just giving them tons of free promotion. Where's sure, the Netflix sure. buy-in for this podcast? Come on, Netflix. Where are the RTs? The Netflix account retweeted my like shit posting about the witches <laughs> the other night, and I just... Why can they retweet that? Why is that allowed to happen, but they can't retweet this podcast? I don't know. You can at them and tell them to, but I don't want to start a thing. Well, um, yeah, yeah. We start with, like, at them with shit posts, and they wonder, we wonder why we're not getting any feedback. <laughs> Speaking of who we could all start something on behalf, who is on this podcast? Devendra, who are you? Hello, I am a senior editor at Engadget. I podcast about movies and TV at Slash Film. So, yeah, that's me, and I love Cora. And we have Joanna Robinson. Hi, I'm a writer of Vanity Fair. I podcast about film and television, and I love Cora and Bolin. And Bolin, come on, and Papu, and everybody. Yeah. And we have Dave Gonzalez. Hey, it's me, Dave Gonzalez. I spell my name with the seven, and I love you all. Let's face the end of the world together. Aw, so romantic. <laughs> Staring into the apocalypse. Well, we're not going to cancel the apocalypse today, uh, unfortunately. That That's another review. Mm. That's whole, <laughs> Although we, there, there are certainly this. giant monsters in this. So, that is true. Yeah, it's it relevant. Came out, it definitely came out after because I only yeah. knew about kaiju and mech warriors or whatever they're called. <laughs> because yes. because <laughs> talking to you guys about this season of Korra. That's true. And also a lot of Evangelion talk because this, this season straight up goes there by the end. Yeah. And, and now people know. will finally get what you're talking about. Yes, well, except finally. For Joanne, except for <laughs> can we, more people, more team, people will get what you're team, talking about. Can we gather together and podcast Evangelion? Because it will destroy your souls. It's also perfect for right now, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I don't know if you're called action. Talk about the end of the world. No, don't make false promises. Don't be... Uh, Come on, listeners. Any of the villains in <laughs> The Legend of Korra. Um... No, we are, talk- we are talking about the apocalypse. We are talking about giant kaiju. We are talking about mecha warriors, as Joanna describes them. Uh, what are we they are called? Talking about- what are they called? No, I think mechs. Mechs. Mechas. Mecha anime is a thing. Mech warrior is something else. Yeah. It's a oh. video game series where you shoot okay. missiles out of your robot's hands or whatever. <laughs> your battle suit. That mech-, mech warrior is more of a, what they had in the other avatar, the James Cameron mm. avatar. Giant smashy robot. Giant smashing robots is what we have here. Great. Uh, but let's start by saying what book two is about, fundamentally. Let's get down to the plot. Dave, take it away. Here we go. We'll reintroduce the new team Avatar as they convene in the Southern Water Tribe for a spirit festival. You meet the Avatar's mother, father, cousins, Esna and Uncle Udalak, the chief of the Northern Water Tribe, uh, because he got his older brother banished that one time. Korra doesn't know this, and she lashes out at her dad and mom, her boyfriend Mako, and anyone else as Udalak convinces her to open up the Southern Spirit Portal and kick off a civil war between the Water Tribes. Korra loses her memory. Detective Mako investigates a terrorist bombing. Bolin and Asami fall, uh, fall in with quirky industrialist Varric. Asami becomes a war profiteer, and Bolin becomes a prop- propaganda movie star. 
Korra has a flashback to the first Avatar Wan, who split Rava and Vatu, the spirits representing light and dark, became the first Avatar and sealed Vatu in the time tree during the last harmonic convergence. Korra has to stop Unalog from freeing Vatu at the next harmonic convergence, which is very soon. Tenzin realizes he wasn't the best brother or teacher, but Janora is able to guide Korra in the spirit world. Iroh cameos, but Korra fails at harmonic convergence, and Unalog fuses with Vatu to become the dark Avatar. Rava is destroyed, severing Korra from the past Avatars. Tenzin becomes a better teacher and puts Korra in the time tree, where she remembers Mako broke up with her and turns into the giant Korra kaiju to fight the dark Avatar in Republic City Bay. Korra gets bwomp beamed in the face, but Janora plants the light of Rava inside dark Avatar's chest, and Korra rips it out, eventually killing Unalak. She decides to leave the spirit portals open, allowing free passage between the two worlds. Book two. Well, when you put it that way, it sounds absolutely bonkers. A lot happened this um, season. Come a on. lot of happened. A lot of choices. Everyone makes really interesting choices. I, they don't know a lot about the world. Choices. I just they need do. to uh, really quickly justice for Asami. Mm. They, mm-hmm. She was duped into becoming a war profiteer, was she not? <laughs> I do think that's an important. I do think that's an important distinction because, as so many characters in the in the Korra timeline, they get duped into things. They make sure. bad choices. Uh, and, they tend to trust they be... a lot of people that they yeah. shouldn't. Maybe and I, I'm not I saying to let Bush Jr. off the hook just because Cheney was whispering in his ear, but I don't want to get too sure, political sure, or anything. Sure. But I mean, she does get duped into becoming a war profiteer, but she is also <laughs> making war machines like these things will right. be used for war not peace so no those are you gardening know. robots how dare gardening you? robots i mean with guns yeah <laughs> let me just ask you all right now is iron man a war criminal oh hell yeah, yeah. that's that's the entire yes. wow that's the okay. entire we point all of the first this. movie <laughs> well i know but in endgame he dies a hero he's the greatest hero of all and then time. in uh, spider-man in spider-man we learned he's still profiting from the cleanup of his own messes come on so you're wake up, the Marvel! Sheeple, wake up! The Marvel Cinematic Universe did not deal with Iron Man. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> did not. Spider Man did though. Um, okay. Can I? Can I say? Is it okay for me to run down the things that I love about the season and the things that I don't love about this? Season? Sure. That's probably a good way to start is because this okay season is a huge start? jump. Do we just let I, you I go, or do we stop to object? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna so run down the list and we'll go back. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, it's just yeah. It's just really quickly. Uh, what I love about the season is that they like discovered even more their ability to do humor. Like the addition of Varric is huge and great, and letting Bolin be Bolin is great. So like the the and and the Air family, like the addition of more humor, all good. Boomy, great, all great. Uh, Spirit World stuff, all great. One two parter, incredible. <laughs> incredible. Uh, fight in the Bay, great. Uh, Unalak is a really weak villain, I think. Um, and, uh, and it gets, it starts really rough to get them where they need to go really quickly. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think like the introduction of Unalak as like a character we've never met, the sameness between these two brothers and the two brothers of the last season and like, and, and the way in which it needs Core to be stupid for a couple, stupid and like for a couple episodes in order to like get us into the plot is frustrating. Like, so I feel like this episode, this season just needed like, I guess a couple more episodes at the front. Um, or so interesting or for Unalak to have been a character in season one. Like if he were like an established character, her uncle who we know, and it would make sense for her to like trust him and stuff like that. And then the betrayal, like that makes sense. But like, we just meet him 
And then she's like, I'm going to believe everything this guy says, even though he's shady as shit from yeah. the beginning. And I'm going to Can't like... you see how he's drawn, Cora? Come on. <laughs> it would have yeah, been cool if they had thought these four seasons through as one right. big sure, story sure. to have actually introduced uh, Unalak in like those early northern tribe scenes yeah. um although he wouldn't have been around for then either because he's from the wait I, who, I think that is he from the northern tribe and they're from yeah. the southern tribe yes he's from from the north. yeah yes yeah but this is a this is a tendency of the podcast so, of your too i don't mm-hmm. know i don't remember anything about the show and i can't keep any <laughs> of the facts straight but i just i just think that unalak is like is a weak villain in a strong story and mm-hmm. his motivation is weak and like there's there's this great meme going around that like each of the villains of the core seasons represents an ideology, a political ideology. And like Unalak then is um, like theocracy. And I was like, is that how we would describe like what he's trying to do here? And like, like the villains are most interesting in Korra when they're like, when you can really say like, okay, they're trying to do something good. And you're like, okay, maybe, maybe there's something good in trying to connect the spirit world and, you know, the human world. Not only is there something good, she believes it in the end. But he's like, yeah. I will become the dark avatar. <laughs> like, no, that's just that's just there's, like, there's a lot of like things evil for evil. It doesn't you know? quite compute. Right. Especially compared to Amon, where I feel right. like you could easily sell the idea of, hey, Juan maybe did something bad or wrong. And maybe yeah. we need to fix that. And I think that's something Cora comes to by the end. But there's, we don't really get the pieces in the narrative to really put that together. Right. She kind of comes out of it on her own. Yeah, but I, I, it's interesting. I, I think mm-hmm. Unalak has so is so relatable. Obviously, there's a lot of Eastern themes in this show. Yeah. It's overt. Who doesn't um, want to throw their brother out from being the chief and also spawn two evil twins and we've also all try to been rule there. the world? <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. Um, no, the the parallel. I don't. I don't see him as. Uh, I mean, I guess ultimately he's leaning towards theocracy, mm-hmm. but. In true to all of Korra's villains, there he's on to something. He is on to something. He's on to uh, a nation that has lost its faith. I think that's something relatable in the American cultural conversation, too, where you see, especially uh, in Christianity in that thread, where people are saying, like, faith can be good. Maybe faith can be found again. Faith can evolve. Faith is important, uh, whether and or all, all faiths. It doesn't have to be Christian either. Like, we're trying to find harmony. Everyone is trying to find that balance in the world, and faith can often be the answer for so many people. And and I feel like in in present day, we see people advocating it for, for it in new ways. Like find faith, it can, whatever faith entertains you, it, it could yeah. be good. Well, and well, then of course you have you, people I mean, who who I, who tip into the like. Then they become the youth leader, and then they become the <laughs> diabolical mega church. Uh, pastor yeah. and then whatever then like they become, they become Unalak right? yeah no <laughs> yeah. exactly right like that line seems easy for people sure, to be sure, corrupted sure. by this very noble pursuit of can, incorporating well, faith into people's lives can, yeah. I, can I can I suggest one fix that I think would have really helped this all for me if Unalak were duped by Rava rather than like understand, you know and he, I'm sorry what Vatu oh Vatu Vatu yeah sorry you. That's, Wasn't that's he ultimately duped by Vatu? Mm-hmm. He's wrong about Vatu. It's implied. So there's a scene where we, where the flip of the coin is, and there isn't enough there, and that's where you'd put the extra episode. The extra episode times, I think, right. is like, well, we're right. concerned with like the relationships between like Bola and Eska and um, <clears throat> Mako and Korra, 
they go to meet their father and he just steps out of the spirit portal and they're like, what happened? He's like, all right, next step in the plan is this. That was the time to show that there was a dark influence, but we hadn't gotten to the flashback yet. But even so, like the creepy time tree with the eye in it that was undulating, like talking to him or influencing him would have been a nice little step in that direction, I think. And then I think, it's uh, sort of implied. By, by the way... The Dragon Prince did something very similar. So talking about like the shows that came out of like people after <laughs> oh, Korra, yeah. but like Dragon them. Prince did like the sort of like what the hell is this weird evil object? And slowly over time, it becomes this thing that infests one of the villains. So yeah, that's cool. I, I just think I just think it's not it's not that I don't think it's clear that uh, Vatu was like influencing him. I just think like it's honestly it's like that dark Avatar thing really gets me because I'm like you. E- you will know you're the villain, right? If you if you're gonna be like, I will be the. It's not I will bring the spirits back to the world. Right, right. It's but I is, will be the dark avatar. What is? But that? is that him? I at think that I point? will become the Joker. No, yeah, that's basically yeah. what it is. Right. <laughs> I have to I jump. I'm gonna throw myself in this chemical bath, and we're gonna do this, okay? Yeah. Um, that's He's, funny. Wait, but yeah. has he been? Is Vatu part of him at that point no. when he sticks his hand in the portal and becomes? Not yet. The dark avatar? He's like, we will we will blend. Mm-hmm. He's like, we will, will it merge. To, <laughs> will it blend.com. <laughs> but make Batu it and Batu. Udalak. <laughs> <laughs> you just anyway, get the bwam, like, basically. Yeah. <laughs> there's just like, there's a lot of good in this season. It's just, I, fi- I find the core of villain. I skipped ahead and started watching some of season three. Those villains Ooh, are cheater. so incredible. So good. So yeah. like, it's hard because I just think Udalak no is... is uh, <laughs> A, a weak link in the, I hear you. in the four villain chain. I, t- I totally hear you. And I also, I'm not a fan of where Korra is at the beginning of the season, but also it is very much like, I'm, I'm, it's very, again, we keep bringing up Buffy, but I love it when Buffy brought up like, just, it's hard to be a teen, but it's also hard to be a teen and the savior of the world and everything. And I don't know, for her, her pushing back and her fighting with everybody and being kind of a jerk. It felt really relatable. Let me let me just put it that way, because sometimes you just want to lash out when it feels like, I don't know, you've been trapped your entire life and you just saved. Um, she she saved the city. She didn't save the world in season one, but it feels like, hey, I'm on top of the world. But also it feels like so many things are unfair. So I, I felt her. I don't like Unalak, but I love so much of the season because everything is so good. The wand stuff, the like it, it, it goes full anime, it goes full Dragon Ball Z and Evangelion by the end of the season. And, and Miyazaki. And Miyazaki. Everything. Like, it's really, I love, it's a shame that they didn't really plan out all these seasons because they didn't know what they would be able to do. But I do love it. Like, at this point, they're like, okay, I'm, we're just going to throw everything we can into this season and then see where we go next time. And I, I appreciate, like, how crazy it gets, honestly. What? Well, maybe we should backtrack just a little bit here because I thought we had a different experience this time, which was, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know exactly how long there was between book one and book two, but even six or so years ago, that, it was a substantial chunk of time. Right, right. Hey, Cora's back. We get to like get a refresher. We haven't just watched book one right beforehand necessarily. I mean, I um, did. And here, ahead oh, of that did. season. But <laughs> check your Come privilege. On. Come on. Um, I, I, I don't recall having the experience where I'm just plowing through it <laughs> and really seeing the, the differences 
between the two seasons so overtly. I, re- I remember coming back to Korra Book 2 and being like, is the animation all different? Is this weird? Or like, mm-hmm. where were these characters? Um, <laughs> and here it was, it was so much clearer. I actually enjoyed the first half of the season a lot more than I did last, the, originally watching it and mm-hmm. thought that the back half kind of fizzled out like it got maybe too big for its britches sure, and sure. maybe maybe it did need an extra episode of, of unalak explanation <laughs> but I, i'm a little confused what what about cora did you not like in these early episodes what were what wasn't making sense i i think for me uh it's her putting all of her faith in this uncle who she has no pre-existing relationship with yeah, I just don't like that it makes. It's not. He's it the makes, cool uncle. It makes <laughs> he's Cora, Uncle Jesse. It makes Cora seem stupid, and I don't like that. She has to be stupid and bad at her job, like so easily manipulated, in order for them to get where they want to go in the plot. And then she apologizes, like to Tenzin and to her dad and stuff like that. But like she has to be stupid for a couple episodes and and <laughs> alienate everyone who who was there for her in season one. And I don't I don't like that they had to make her. Be that but it's, it's that's the I, big conundrum of the show like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what's teen behavior and what's bad stupid to me move the forward i mean as, a, as I, we were all former teens but I, I can certainly tell you for me as a teen certainly bad and stupid and teen behavior all the same thing <laughs> that's <laughs> what I'm, that's thing. what i guess i'm yeah. getting at because when she is like i've been so cooped up like i have been yeah, under yeah. my dad's wing this whole time and tenzin is isn't letting me. i want to yeah. go i know more than my master now you know why am i listening to this guy Who's yeah, clearly like, failed on so many levels sometimes. <laughs> Unalak is definitely the badass uncle with a leather jacket who's like, you want to go for a ride with me? He should Fuck be cool. your parents. I feel like he should be cooler. He should Maybe be more charismatic. Maybe that's his problem. Yeah. He's not cool enough. To he's freaking Jafar. You know, he's a Jafar looking dude. And he's like, why would I trust him? I don't like these cousins. I don't like hanging out with these folks. I don't know why she would just up and meanwhile, jump with him. Yeah. Meanwhile, the way in which everyone's duped by Varric, I'm like, mm-hmm. I get that. Perfect. Like, Varric is really good at his job. Best, <laughs> probably one of, one of my favorite characters of the entire yeah. series. And also, like, yeah, everything about Varric. Like, Varric is clearly such a uh, very effectively envisioned character. And uh, who's the actor again? Is it John Michael John, Higgins? John Michael Higgins, yeah. Yeah, like, he is perfect. Like, he exactly knows what he's trying to do with this character. And it's also, like, it's written very well in his, um, his patter. His pitter-patter is, like, really well with the dialogue. So... Yeah, love him, and he is perfect charismatic villain in many ways, yeah. I think a lot of the stuff that grates with me uh, at the beginning of the season uh, was a lot clearer now at a rewatch grates on me. It's like I don't mind the stuff where she feels like she's been sheltered by, like, Tenzin and her parents because both of those characters actually have, you know, pretty well uh, established arcs this season's about like learning to like Korra be Korra and mm-hmm. where their boundaries are as teachers. The problem with like Korra's state of mind going into it with like the main plot with t- tr- trusting Tanrock and not listening to any of her team is it's only supposed to be six months after she faced Amon and the Equalists. And it seems like she didn't learn anything through that. So, like, she's already been duped into joining, like, a police task force (laughs) through, like, very similar, like, smooth-talking people who look, you know, waterbenders who tell her what she wants to hear and then use her for, like, her avatar powers. Exactly right. She hasn't learned anything. And I think that's what's kind of shocking about the first season, in a way. Like, it could have concluded. 
it could we could have assumed that she did learn something and it could have all been over and and we would imagine her her fruitful run as the avatar in the future instead we get book two and it's like actually it hasn't been that long and she never really had a conclusive battle with Amon where she really understood what was going on in her world and instead she feels like she was powerless and that she has to now empower herself more. She has to learn yeah, the dark yeah. art of spirit bending from this guy who's mm, starting to make sense every, of the world every, my powers don't aren't good enough. Everyone else I think picks up from where they left off in season one Korra doesn't act like it's implied trauma that she lost her bending right? and then yeah, you know yeah. has to come back. She doesn't Nobody brings that up, and the story doesn't do anything to remind us. They just Who show us. That up? <laughs> Someone, I mean, I think it's the response. If my if, friend were doing that, I'd be like, listen, I know. you had a- I mean, I, I'm like, yeah, maybe- but her friend is Mako. I mean, but it's okay. And if that's so, I, like, I don't mind the stuff with Mako so much either, but it's framed in a way of when, you know, girls are being difficult, re- rip them right off like a blood-sucking leech. It's the show's responsibility mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. if it's talking about trauma and if that's what it's portraying, and I think it learns in the future how to do this, that it needs to contextualize that very heavily because ultimately it's a cartoon for teenagers. And it has yeah. 20 minutes. <laughs> Something I remember liking the Eska and Desna stuff when we watched it last time. And now it really rubs me the wrong way. This whole Ooh, like really? crazy ex-girlfriend shit, like I mm-hmm. really hate it. And the way in which like Bolin and Mako talk about her and like all this other stuff. I I really, really hate it. And like Korra is an incredibly wonderful feminist show. So I'm not gonna say like, you know, that they don't have great stuff to say about women and stuff like that. I just think this is a, a real misfire. And like like I said, even even just a couple of years ago, I was like, this is funny, Aubrey Plaza, she's so funny. And I, you know, since then there's been a whole show called Crazy Ass Girlfriend that like made me look at that trope a little closer and I'm like, yeah, yeah I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. those early episodes don't sit well. You just want to like shake Bolin and be like, please be a respectful <laughs> right. man in this be world. A, be um, the himbo I know you to be. But then in the end of the season, he actually has feelings yeah. for her and it's growth like comes I think around good growth unfortunately here, yeah. the, the growth the growth starts with a trope that we really don't have time yeah. for anymore, well, well let me just say by the way this season really needed a beach episode which is the anime staple of all your characters <laughs> together and avatar did this uh, i think at one point too with the the play yeah, right? fire islands yeah and it's everybody just chills let's take a break from the main <laughs> plot let's just talk about our feelings and each other and I really felt the need for something like that somewhere in the middle of the season. It's so surprising because this season is 14 episodes. It yeah. is yeah. the longest, I think, of, of all the seasons. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of feels that way. I do feel like the middle stretch, and maybe it's the one episodes that, that give me a deep breath, and then we get back to the stuff that I'm not as yeah. invested in just... um, until the very end. <laughs> uh, but like everything in the spirit world with Korra, I don't know, that kind of gets murky. For me, I'm, I'm not really sure you what's going like on. Little, little baby Cora, but like, oh man, I oh I do like I, that part. Mm-hmm. I just think the the one double episode is like one of the best things that ever happened on television. Sure, sure, it's just so good. It's so good, start to finish. What? Let Let's talk about why it's good because I feel like on other shows, what what other shows have dared to just depart for two straight episodes i mean there are bottle or not not bottle there are, are, are um what's it called when you shoot your pilot within your own show mm-hmm. that backdoor pilots backdoor, pilot. backdoor pilots there's mm-hmm. that i think riverdale had one not too long ago um but uh, this doesn't feel like this was never 
supposed to be the pilot for another show. Though I would um, watch a one show so fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is really just something that was like on their mind since Avatar The Last Airbender, and sure. they wanted to put it in the show somewhere. Hey, the, finally, there's a They're there's filling out it. the mythology, and I totally feel that. It reminds me, um, like, Watchmen, most recently, I can think of, like, mm. Watchmen at one point mm. takes a step back and goes through the history of what motivates these characters and a lot of things. And I feel like at that point in Watchmen, it's certainly like a big turning point for the series and you kind of know what they're trying to say. So I feel that here, I love how connected it is to everything we've learned throughout Last Airbender and, you know, Korra up until now. And also like, want, he's Aladdin. We talked about this the, the last time. He's Aladdin. Like he's a <laughs> lovable scamp who becomes this like spiritual leader in many ways. And how can you not love that? I also love that, all that happens after I think the worst trope, which is Cora getting amnesia, and don't 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 give me characters getting amnesia. This is not a soap <laughs> opera, even though it feels like it sometimes. Um, but I love that from that they can get to Juan and everything, and it's so the art style fantastic. It's all so good. Yeah, well, so something good. that I was paying close attention to because of you guys, um, maybe specifically uh, the way that Dave talks about it is. Uh, the fact that Studio Mir comes in for these two episodes and we haven't seen Studio Mir all season. Mm-hmm. So it feels mm-hmm. not only is the animation style different, but like you're just like, yeah, I've been missing you guys. <laughs> <laughs> these lines. It's yeah. just beautiful. It's so gorgeous. And yeah, the the opening is like, it, it's like intentionally Aladdin. But it's so funny, <laughs> like when he when he gets to uh when he gets to like when he's like escaped the guards or whatever and has his like buns and gets to his little hut and i was like oh so this this friend of yours this is your monkey all right <laughs> there's, there's your Apu, founder of the fire nation that's fine um yeah it's uh it's so good and like steven yen is like a voice actor so great and makes you really want to chew uh animated series which we were promised mm-hmm. years and years ago and stuff like that so it's just um i don't know it's just great. well uh, specifically the inspiration for it too like they went back in like um, one of the weird random classes I took in college was like Japanese with block prints and like tracing that art style, ukiyo-e art style to manga, to animation and everything. Like it is funny how they're going back, um, you know, thematically, but also in an art style that I'm sure most viewers have no clue what they're actually alluding to here, but it looks so cool and so dreamy. And then bringing in like the deeper elements of like cities on the backs of turtles which is old school mythology it's just like a lot of beautiful stuff that they don't have to even explain very much it's just like here's great world building here's a great world building um very miyazaki-esque at certain points and it's all just like beautifully animated it's all those elements coming together for me that makes it i like that it becomes mythic yeah i I don't know if the show had had that quality which is unusual like of all the elements, it, it feels like fantasy. It, it has this mythic origin, but it, the show always lives in the present and lives with the kind of like political or social uh, urgency uh, of of either Ang's quest or Korra's quest. And this this felt well, mythical when they're like giving all every each person the powers yeah. to go on the hunt. I'm <laughs> like, oh, that feels like-, like a legend. That's <laughs> yeah. an interesting storytelling trope. Um. There is, I, I was just remembering that there is like a similar-ish on a smaller scale episode of um, The Last Airbender, which is Roku's story, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like it's Roku and it's just Aang and Zuko reading Roku's story. That's the episode. <laughs> uh, and so, um, you know, and I at like my kingdom for an entire Kyoshi episode. But um, you have two yeah. books now. You yeah. Have to put those on your reading list. But um. But yeah, but to do a double episode to make the animation style so different, 
Um, it was a real swing, and and it really really worked. What do you what do you think the Juan story does for the theme of the season? I know, I feel like this isn't necessarily something we talked about because the Juan episodes when we were covering the show episodically, um, we were able to kind of revel in those moments. And then it was back to Cora. Let's keep talking about Cora. <laughs> but now watching it all together, I'm kind of curious what how the Juan story enhances the season as a whole and Cora's journey. And and I mean, I guess the second question is like introducing Rava and Vatu. In another show, I might, or in another set of stories, I'd be like, "We're gonna explain all this. This is a whole thing now." Okay, it's also is- it's also a love story between a spirit and a human in so many ways too. Like it is that little glimpse we get of Juan at the end of his life, like still breaks my heart. It's just so like his whole life, right? He dedicated to trying to find peace between people and the spirits and everything. And I think at the end of the day, the peer, the people let him down. Society let him down, and it's sort of a great reflection of like the inequality that they've been dealing with. Like that's old school, rich aristocrats up top, you know, uh, people poor at the bottom. Elysium. Not being yeah. Very well. Yeah. And very old <laughs> that school, classic film, that, that classic film that, that, that we school, all remember <laughs> that old school um, storytelling at Elysium. <laughs> it's very like feudal, you know, feudal societal systems. And like, even fast forward to Cora being very modern, not much has really changed. And I think like you mm. see that sort of reflection there as well. Yeah. When, <laughs> When Juan is dying and is like, sorry, beautiful spirit lady who lives inside of me. I failed to bring peace. Yeah, I was just sitting there being like, fucking humans. He locked the bad spirit yep. in a tree away. And you guys still fucked it up his entire lifetime. And then it's just going <laughs> to. Yep. And then and then poor Rava is just going to have to like reincarnate over and over and over again to try to like keep the humans from fucking up the world. Just try and- to find that love again, too. <laughs> like it is. This is the story of Rava. Like the entire story of Avatar is the story of Rava. Right. right? So I feel like that is I want some of that. Like to you, like give me her relationship with these characters in the different avatars over the years. You want War Horse, but make it Shut up. Rava. <laughs> never, never talk about War Horse. Please. Please. But she is she is the War Horse for humanity, right? Like she's That's the right. War Horse for keeping it all together. But also like, hey, the thing Juan did, um, his success was saying, Hey spirits, go. <laughs> go away to your own place and leave this place where, you know, you were probably living for generations like forcibly forcible migration back into the spirit world not sure if that was a great idea you know and i, I do like that they kind of is like you'll be safer here isn't that i don't know yeah uh, yeah away from the <laughs> asshole humans let me protect you from humans forever in the spirit world i don't know uh-huh dave what do you think i mean i like i think it's important for if you're going to deal with something like spirits uh for the show to set its own mythology and rules and then what i really like about uh beginnings is that he separates rava and vatu so he inserts himself into like the great balance and then they become one in order to imprison vatu which inexorably puts humans in the center of the battle between you know, all good and all evil in the universe, because we're talking about both the spirit world <laughs> and the material world that we know of in this season uh, that are referenced. And so, so just sort of the idea that instead of, I think what makes something like the reason Unalak isn't necessarily like zealotry or a theology, like straight up is those people um if they're like a true believer like 
seed ultimate power, like the first step of AA is like acknowledging that there there's a higher power, whereas there's also something about the way that Avatar mixes these sort of great forces of dark and evil, and it puts humans sort of like at that level. Like we have the power to choose between them and like fight for either one of them, but that also means we have the responsibility that we can't abdicate to somebody higher. There isn't mm-hmm. like the Avatar can't ask for anybody's help except for Rava's, who is part of them throughout time. Like there's nobody every every human's responsible for the good and evil both in themselves and in the world, which I think is what makes after the beginnings, Korra's trip into the spirit world and what she learns there with Iroh really affecting is it doesn't say there's a god and he cares for you. It says they're gods and they need, you know, your choice, which I think is a lot more effective way to deal with the themes Korra is dealing with than maybe just uh, dealing with the assumption that there's like a Garden of Eden sort of situation where, you know, we we betrayed God. It's not that we betrayed God. It's like Devendra said, we inserted ourselves in a battle and then fell in love with the good side. And so humans hopefully have that innate power to be good, but Dark Avatar says it has the innate power to be bad. Just why the season's like really interesting to me because it goes in this really weird place in terms of uh, who chooses to be light or dark that I think Tenzin sort of brushes up against, but nobody actually says... Which mm-hmm. makes it more powerful, I think, in the end. Wait, what do you mean by that? Like that, that Tenzin makes dark choices or, or veers. Oh, no, I think t- when Tenzin like leads her into the time tree and he learns, you know, like what she needs is her spirit. She doesn't need, you know, the light. She doesn't need Rava necessarily to like take on the dark. She is Korra, and she does. That's as close to saying the theme out loud. And then I think they re. Um, enforce it by having the deus ex machina of Janora, who all the time they're in the spirit world is preaching like we influence the spirits like it's our moods it's whatnot she's the one who's able to return the light into the material plane because she's you know made the choice to be on the side of the light and it's like her decision gives this human the power that was you know, should be reserved for a spirit or a god I think the the power shift and everything lines up with the technology really, really nicely in a way that makes humans responsible for their choices on a spiritual level, mm-hmm. not necessarily like an mm. industrial uh, war profiteering level, which is good, or a brother <laughs> versus brother level, which is also good conflict, but that all these people have to decide, you know, are, there, all the, are the spirits that manifest going to be good or bad? And it ultimately is the choices of the characters as to how that's going to happen. Which is why I like it. It just takes a winding way to get there. A big winding way. It's also really funny watching this now after um, the entire Star Wars other trilogy, right? None of that happened before Korra. And I feel like Star Wars has (laughs) never tried to say light and dark and yada, yada, yada and explore some things. I think The Last Jedi is probably the movie that explored that idea best. But I love in this one, like, course just like hey light and dark always will always exist we will always be in battle you can't have one without the other Hmm. it is sort of how you navigate that space in that world that really makes you i don't know valuable as as a spiritual being or something like it it explores more than i anyone anyone who becomes an absolutist in either direction will ultimately be, be 
cor- be corrupted in yeah. some way. And it's and a, I think it's that's what's a, interesting about Unalak. It's a big right? idea. He, yeah. He, he he does have a good idea. He wants everyone to be in tune with the spirit world that does exist. If we ignore it, that's bad. If we close ourselves off to spirituality, that's bad. And then he swings all the way to the other Ten thousand years of darkness. Years of darkness. <laughs> I was thinking about that lie this time. Like, ten thousand years of darkness. What then? What, uh, what's after that? Why are we sitting in the dark for ten thousand years? How about infinite years of darkness? Or Why stop like, at ten thousand? It's only going to take one year at max to just sort of like... Everyone's yeah. dead, dead, right? What do you want, that? man? I was also, by the way, I was watching, I was finishing up this season uh, after the end of uh, the RNC, and let me just tell you, oh, that, that dig into four, that four hour, I, I, did, I didn't watch the RNC, but just seeing the Twitter responses to like the four hour Trump speech where it's literally like, Four more years of darkness. Um, <laughs> certainly, I can feel, I felt like the resonance there. Um, I, Unalaka could be such a more, m- much more interesting villain. Like yeah. either you make him pure evil in like a more like a I don't know I think deliberate way, or make him more charming and interesting. But hey, it's like he doesn't know what he's doing, and then when he's taken over by Vatu, it's sort of like we can't tell when that thing is in charge either. Too, we don't know what Vatu is other than bad. Yeah, it feels like Unalak um, suffered from maybe. I mean, this is all conjecture, but mm-hmm. this is a really tough topic for Mike and Brian to explore. Just, Dave, like, the way that you've put it is really elegant. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it was almost too abstract or if it would be the parallels would become too obvious to faith in America or like right, and multiculturalism right. in America that it was like it would become too overt or too, I don't know, what, open itself up to criticism. I have no idea why Unalak becomes kind of, flounder, kind of flounders. Something I think that's funny is that uh Vatu, who's like this sentient trilobite or whatever, <laughs> kite, kite thing. Yeah. yeah kite. Is like more compelling and charismatic of a villain than Unalak, right? Because it's just Every, pure evil. Every That's time all he's, he's like bad. Yeah. <laughs> Rava. And you're just like, ah the evil kite's talking again. I'm so scared. Um, By the way, both both Vatu and Rava are straight up Evangelion like giant monsters. Like they there is a flat design from one of those aliens that they are just clearly referencing here. So I find that fun because we go to that point by the end. The people are like, oh, no mouths, you say? Good. We're drawing all these uh, spirals inside the fire and air. So <laughs> thank God. Although doing the paper kind of folding animation yeah, the of tentacle. movements, that doesn't seem... I mean, uh, it's uh, the they're, they're blessed uh, by the animation trick of not having even lines. So there's not even widths mm-hmm. in the tentacles. The tentacles could be any shape they want. It's a very nice animation, which gives it a good look. And I love the battle stuff. And I love the sound design of uh, Vatu's yeah, fucking horn. Rava and Vatu are wrestling <laughs> is definitely the sexiest thing I've seen in years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Since I watched it the first time. creatures fighting amongst mountains. <laughs> what All the? Right. That is a sexual thing. Let me, let me, let me pivot. And now I can say that. Let me pivot to something less sexy, which is um, something that I love about that... This episode seems to scatter our characters in a way that Avatar never did in Korra season one, didn't even ever go to this extreme of like, you've got ABC plots of like, let's check mm-hmm. back in with the Air family and like, what, how, how is Bolin's mover career going and like, stuff like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> How's but, like, Blueberry Spicehead? <laughs> oh, <laughs> but like, Aww. but the, um, but the, uh, the Tenzin Kayabumi stuff about Aang being, maybe not a great dad 
is interesting to me because I think it ties back into what Dave was saying about this idea of like um, uh, gods, people, things that we venerate. There's a huge statue of Aang that's torn down by the end of the season, right? Like Aang and the Avatar in general are like these venerated holy creatures and Tenzin thinks of his dad this way and Kaya and Bumi are mm. like, let's talk about the reality of who our father was and his actual failings. Well, he was how, never there. We yeah, never went on vacation. How he was, uh, yeah, like I, that's your version. And then by the end, you know, Tenzin, when he's like in the midst of Lost Soul or, or whatever, um, you know, that moment where he has to like lean on himself rather than his like idea of, of Aang and who he should be. That's really powerful stuff. And I think it does tie back into mm-hmm this idea of spirits and theology and, and, you know, these, these things that, that we hold up, um, and venerate. And you could, you could extend that to like, you know, the propaganda of the movies and the movie stars and all sorts of stuff like that. Like, I do think there's like thematic connection, um, between all these things, but let me just tell you the last thing I'll say about this is that, uh, I was having trouble liking Mako anyway, and then they made him a cop. <laughs> a cop who sells—it's a like natural. A, fit. a cop who sells out the girlfriend avatar in a second to President Raiko. Mm. Raiko's like, "You would tell me, right? You are a cop." And he's like, "You know, one second. I've, I've read, I've read a lot of like jabs at the show for having cops in it." But I feel like people don't take a second to, and I'm not saying you do this, Joanna, this, you're, you're much more thoughtful than this, which is um, sometimes, but like there's very superficial reads of cops in this show. And, mm-hmm. but I see the show being like, as soon as these characters get sucked up into being cops, they are abused by the authority mm-hmm. that, that oversees the cops, right? Like these people are good people and they become cops for good reasons. I can use my skills and my heroism and my dedication to, to building a better world uh-huh. to to be a cop, which I see as a position to protect neighborhoods or protect people. Uh-huh. They see it as a protector role. But then they are abused. Like, am I defending cops right you now? Think, Get them, Dave. You think a lot of <laughs> I'm not. You think a lot of detectives uh, write down write down catchy catchphrases before they throw people I'm not in jail. To say there's some good jails. Cops. Look, I'm not trying to say there's some good cops. I'm saying there are, I don't know. The show, the show does right. as much as it can <laughs> to be like, the cops are idiots. They sideline Lynn, which is, yeah. you know, yeah. bad for Lynn, but good considering how the cops are portrayed and how authority is easily bought in this season. That being said, Mako is an asshole both as a character this season and as a cop this season. Yes. So, and this show is evidence that cops are bad. The show is evidence that the institution of police is ultimately negative almost every time. Right. The cops yes, don't yes, get anything yes. done. I, I'm, just, I'm yes. just saying. That's that, what I'm saying. Yes. That's my final. I'm, I'm on the right yeah. side of it. Yeah, it's, it's, sure. not, it's not good. Arguing for nuance of it, can good people become cops is something that this show isn't concerned about, though, I don't think. I'm not. No, not really. But I, I do think, especially like. No, I don't it's know, concerned it, about the authority. The authority, yes. It's the way system. we look at. The way we look at things now, too, like cultural criticism is sometimes like it is very hard to show characters you like doing bad things because then people are like, oh, you're just you're just supporting that idea. Right. Rather than saying, hey, you're doing this to make a comment on something that's actually happening. So I think think a lot of that is happening with the cops. I think there are ways, you know, like uh, Bolin is always going to be more um, more easily duped than Mako uh, in certain things. But, like, the way in which they show Bolin being, like, sort of swept up into making propaganda, war propaganda, (laughs) 
uh, being exploited by one system versus Mako and the police. It's it 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 doesn't land the same way. Like I think it lands more effectively with the Boleyn storyline than it does. Yeah, with Mako. most definitely. It's it's sort of like that moment where everyone goes off to do something, and Boleyn's like, "What what am I gonna do?" And Varric has this look in his eyes. It's just like, "Oh, evil genius alert! <laughs> I'm gonna bring this kid under my wing and oh, show him a good moldable clay." So much. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I I do need to say one other thing, which is like the worst thing that Bolin does. I think this entire series is unconsensually kiss his co-star <laughs> <laughs> during a scene. I just need to call yeah. that out. That's a low point yeah. for Bolin. We're, we're okay. Let's me too. Bolin. For oh, for cat dad for cat daddy Bolin, he comes back. He's fine. He's he's he's. My I mean, comes back. But, but yeah. Before we get away the politics of it, I think when we were actually discussing <laughs> this show. We talked a lot about how, like, bringing in President Raiko was an interesting choice after book one had, like, sort of the council and then the thing around the council. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, we have an elected leader. Surely this is, like, the end of our problems. And it's like, right. no, absolutely not. Things are much more complicated than you think. You can't get things unilaterally done. Now you have to convince the president. And so I remember that development being like, a, oh, so they're going to, like, still, maybe it's the beginning of this season is too much rooted in like book one's politics. Like we're going to have a civil war between brothers. We're going to have the president. We're going to, you know, check in with what the United fleet's doing, but it has to I mean, end it's, with, it's too similar. It's too similar. Well, just like, like it, or it's actually... it had, it can't make the tonal shift between like, there was a march that was there, you know, that ended in an act of terrorism. So surely the people who opposed the march are the people who made the terrorism. Let's talk to the president about that from, hey, the souls of everybody is sort of at play because there's 10,000 years of darkness. There's such a gap between that that the show like can't really bridge those two worlds, if you will, in order to yeah, like end satisfactorily. That, uh, Korra leads a peaceful march mm-hmm. in Republic City mm-hmm. in this season. Um, that's wild. <laughs> I just love the acts of protest, especially in our current context. I'm just like, it's it's satisfying to see someone. Yeah. And, and the then, cops, by the way, treat that like, uh, look at these rabble rousers, you know, even though it's... And then there's smart, an so. outside well, I, agitator yeah. that blows mm-hmm. some stuff up. Yep. Yep. I feel like I've seen this somewhere before. Mm. Am I just remembering the last time we watched it or is it <laughs> happening somewhere else? Um, yeah, what do you, I, I did want to ask what you what you all think about the civil war? Does that is that something that happens organically? Is it too quick? Or I don't know the scene where the where they're in the northern tribe and they're running up against some southern tribe instigators or, or authority figures, and that 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 really struck me this time mm-hmm. around. It was quite frightening um, to see people clash in that way. Maybe that's the new context for me. I it, I don't think it would have hit me the same way years and years ago. But um, what did what did you make of the civil war? Does that feel like an organic? I like the show trial and the paid off judge. That's a good little storyline. But otherwise, I don't think like. Does that happen in real life? (laughs) Yes, patches. Sometimes you don't even need to pay the judge. Sometimes there are other intervening circumstances because judges are just appointed and elected. And it's anyway, not important. Um, It's important to vote. uh, Yeah, yeah. And, you know, read and watch cartoons it's important to do all of those things um but yeah i think watch politically minded cartoons yes, yes. it's like you could have uh, you could have made a lot more of that civil war story but i think man maybe they did at some point uh, as they were developing it 
And because it's a it's Korra's dad, uh, Tanrock and Unalak, because it's a brother between brother civil war as well as within tribe civil war, they had the luxury of leaning a lot into the brother part of it to represent the tribes. So because of that, it, it like does its function, but I don't think it feels as big as it should, considering these are two of the four nations that we know about, you know, going to a civil war basically across the rest of the globe because it's not like there's a direct channel between the two of them. So, like, I don't know. They could have gotten much more political with it and, like, stopped them at the Panama Canal so that, like, the ships couldn't (laughs) get all the way down. It it does really give the world a global sense where they're having a civil war, but we're going to be in Republic City where people are demonstrating in front of the consulate. But it's right in the middle. Yeah. Republic City is right in the middle of everything. It's wild. It just feels so messy and, like, I don't know. I, I think they're... The idea of it is really good because, like, Unalak is obviously manipulating it for his own end game plan. And then Varric is manipulating it for his own, like, war prof- profiteering plan. And that's interesting. But the conflict itself, I think, gets lost in the larger ambition of this event. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it just feels. Is there, like, an Israel Palestine US? <laughs> parallel that would, i should be drawing it would here. be interesting i'm realizing if, it would be interesting if there were like a better <laughs> Dave shaking his head absolutely <laughs> let's not, not do that let's well, talk if you about draw that. a real life parallel then you're gonna have to pick the one that wants to fuse with the anti-god and cause ten thousand years of darkness so feel free to make any real life comparisons you want just know what you're stepping yeah, yeah, into yeah. Mm. well I, I just feel like it would be better if we understood that like the cultural differences between these yeah. two places or something like that like what is interesting about the southern water tribe is like when you look at at, you know the huge society that they've built out there and remember that in, unless i'm misremembering that like where Katara and Sokka lived like that was just like huts right and they were nearly wiped out you know what i mean so that they've built all of that southern water tribe stuff in the interim right um and it's incredible and and so i think you know and so in the last airbender the difference between the northern water tribe and southern water tribe is really clear because northern water tribe is like civilized and like they've got like structures and stuff like that not civilized in in but like the southern water tribe is just is smaller it's more rudimentary it's like whatever it is and so like there is could potentially be some cold you know they they had uh only one bender left and stuff like that you know what i mean and so like i think there is there could be more work done to show what remaining tensions there might be between like um a southern water tribe that has just recently built itself out versus a northern water tribe. Like I, I don't, I don't get the cultural differences except for like I think they wear slightly different shades of blue, but that's not like fundamentally enough to help me understand a civil war. Well, and right. they're they're hoping that the the carnival festivities are enough to well, like, a, 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 the pro bending of this of this tribe. You like Korra are supposed to uh, listen to Unalak as he continually tells you that they're much more spiritual up there. This is all. This is all trash. Your fried Oreos are trash down here. Again, an he affront is the, to God. Like, Hot smoking uncle who's like, man, I have read the books. I know what spirituality is all. <laughs> You've heard about the Northern Lights. Those are our happy spirits. Your dirty Southern Lights are a storm. But then he's just Unalak lying. definitely <laughs> listens. To, Unalak definitely listens to fish and the dead. <laughs> <laughs> and he has read Infinite Jazz. I feel he listens to John Philip Sousa. He's <laughs> like, I'm going to conquer the world and become the Dark Avatar. I can't it's... imagine him enjoying anything. Right? <laughs> like, 
Where did he get his MFA? He listens to he listens to speeches from like former spiritualists. <laughs> oh, one weird thing that I didn't remember until is like we don't realize he has a wife until he dies, and as Eska and Desna are like, "Well, we should tell mom," and I'm like, "Oh, she's still alive." Like, what did I feel like? That's a character we could have seen or known about. <laughs> Poor Unalak. Yeah, there's just nothing to him. You're right. I mean, <laughs> he comes in with an agenda. He doesn't come from a, a background, or we don't even get the like backstory Aman style. Well, we know he banned, he I, tricked his brother, but that he's power. I guess that's true. We do get the flashback to the, right, the, so the, the just spirit like, encounter. My bad. So he's just but also like, being mean and bad. So he's just been like power hungry his entire life, right? Or like. Uh, there's there was an opportunity um yeah let me let me just like once again uh, my morning quarterback this show that is way smarter than i could ever be but like dramaturge but like like you could humanize him a much more through his kids and they chose not to they made his kids emotionless shells and like comedy you know rather than just sort of being like you know the the part where core is like i'm so sorry your father is dead and they're like we don't give a shit and you're like okay <laughs> like the close the closest you get to like it being slightly complicated at all is like when desna's like almost tempted to turn and then is like no our father is right and we will support him until they don't but it's just sort of like there is opportunity there by giving him mm-hmm. children who um you know could have been more sympathetic and interesting um, and we don't know how he became like spiritually attuned. I'm trying to remember. No, we don't really know don't how know he how learned he spirit learned bending. His spiritual yeah. bending, right? Another good opportunity that's, that's to say that maybe he met, you know, Vatu's influence some way, you know, back in the mm-hmm. past. Or it started from a really earnest place. I mean, what's fascinating would be if he was like, "Why aren't we connected to the spirit world? Why did Juan close this door? Can I become yeah. closer?" And in, in an earnest and a positive way, he descends. He touches the little ball, and the ball's madness. like, frame your brother. And he's like, ooh, yes, little ball. Like that. That's how it probably went down. It would have been good. Guys, would have been great to see Vatu infesting his what would a, throughout yeah. his What would a novelization like spinoff like yeah. of this be called? It would be called <laughs> The Legend of Korra, Book Two Spirits, Book One, uh, Unalak. Because I'll write that. It's like the mist. It's like the mist books. There are all these books spun off the video game Mist, which is a a game in which you find books that talk to you, and the books are hilarious because it's the backstory of all the people that talk to you, and they live completely other lives than the thing of Mist. That's what this should be. Okay, that's for the three people that also read the Mist books. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast. <laughs> they appreciate that. They appreciate that. Uh, maybe we should kind of close out talking about the final few episodes. We alluded to the, the big battle. I kind of want to hear more about the animation here, the style. Just like if this move, this season goes really, really big after something Literally. really kind of close quarters. <laughs> yeah, really, really big. Um, and But even in the beginning, we're getting like, I remember seeing the spirits the spirit attack. I, I think that was what Nickelodeon, the, the trailer for this season, quote unquote, was just the spirit attack sequence in the first two episodes or first episode. Um, and, and that blew my mind because I feel like we hadn't even seen any of that. And someone recently, because everyone's falling down the Korra rabbit hole right now, I was writing recaps of the show for Vulture way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And someone said that I'm on the Wikipedia page for Korra Book Two 
and the and I have found the quote, and I'm embarrassed, and I'm going to read <laughs> it here, which is, uh, writing for Vulture, Matt Patch has highlighted the loose handheld style cinematography, challenging for an animated <laughs> series, and the quote unquote weird, wonderful, wildly imagined spirits fought by Korra, a quote kaiju parade with beasts that mirror velociraptors. What the fuck are you talking about? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> what? I was just delirious writing these recaps because they happened at night and uh, tried to get them up for the episodes on the Saturday. Oy, it was a really bad time for my life. Um, but I will say, I do think there was there's kind of like a handheld janky style to the early episodes that works for me more now. You were, we were talking about the shift in animation studios, but I, I didn't really notice any of that mm. this time I was kind of into the fights. I was into those spirit fights. Patches. Not working for you? If you you? take two things (laughs) that aren't moving and, like, say, drawings, (laughs) and then you move those drawings back and forth in front of the camera, that that looks like it's handheld, right? But the drawings, they're they're just two drawings. They're not changing at all. (laughs) Color me impressed. That's just... I, the people who are listening to the podcast can't see that I did it with my hands, but you could oh, do it too. Take fine. your hands and and move them around. <laughs> whoa, it'll look like it'll whoa, look like whoa. they're moving, but your hands themselves aren't, aren't moving. Um, there, is this Captain Phillips? Is this the born wait, wait, identity? There is an effect that they use in the spirit realm that I really like, which is like zoom moving. You know what I mean? Like when you like you don't people just like zoom around sometimes in the spirit world. Do you know what I mean? And like they don't. Mm-hmm. I love that effect. They don't overuse the it. the like limitless. Um, if you remember the movie, just like push, yeah, just push zoom into mm-hmm. a sp- space as if you were teleporting. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. I- Very cool. And also, um, I remember when I sorry. No, no, go I ahead. Didn't mean to cut you off. I wasn't going to talk about animation, so you should. Probably- oh, 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 okay. Okay, so I'll close that animation, which is real quick. You could tell that this is like, uh, it's split between two studios: Studio Piro, which does episodes the first one two three four five six episodes then we get the beginnings then we get one more studio piro one because it doesn't involve any of the spirit world and then it's studio mirror through the uh, the rest of the way out because uh, they sort of take over all the the kaiju fighting and stuff all the fighting but even yeah. within those studio mirror big kaiju fight episodes the dialogue episodes you could see them cutting down on drawings uh it, i think it's most obvious with like asami in some like earlier episodes but definitely to, uh, back towards the fighting when like tens and everybody's sort of hanging out in the spirit world uh and Korra's, you know having a battle with unalak or the kaijus are happening uh you could see the budget even at work there to try to push all the budget for things like Unalak growing into a huge tentacle creature for things like the battle in Republic City Bay, which has actually pretty good water effects, then it uses those water effects to convey size. Like, those sorts of things, you could see them being used really well, but again, it's sort of like they didn't have the budget for those first couple episodes, and those first couple episodes are really talky, so you kind of don't notice, except with some of the facial moments, except for... um, the kidnapping of Unalak during the Civil War is sort of like you're supposed to have some hardcore bending, and you can really tell that it's a studio that hasn't done a ton of bender-on-bender fights before. At least I could. And then especially after watching season one, I think it's pretty pretty obvious. Uh, anyway, back to Joanna. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, like, to go back to the spirit world really quickly, um, I remember when we recorded... Um, 
this podcast the first time I hadn't seen Avatar The Last Airbender and you guys were like, oh my god, Iroh's here! Oh my god, it's Zhao! And I'm like, who and who? Um, but this time, you know, like when Iroh shows up, I like almost started crying because you're just like, Iroh's here, it's gonna be okay. The Zhao thing is dark. The Zhao thing is super dark. But the, the new Iroh it's voice... still bad. Still bad. I, mean, I would have liked something more, but yeah. How do you get better? It's tough. I mean, you can't get the real thing. Because he was just trying to like imitate. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, the the Zhao thing is dark, and also the fact that like Tenzin, Kaya, Bumi, Janora just like zoom out of there and leave everyone else in the in the mist forever. Like Zhao, sure, but like what about some of those other people, man? <laughs> the whole thing is deeply, deeply upsetting. The spider catching them and putting them in the... Uh, I just thought that was like nightmare fuel. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing I want to say just really quickly before we wrap up is that uh, the reintroduction of the love triangle, still bad. Like, <laughs> like yeah. Asami kissing And then, Mako. then Asami just goes away, right? Yeah. yeah. Asami, After they get back together. And, yeah. Mm. Asami kissing Mako and then like Mako not being able to tell Korra. I'm just like, this sucks. Don't... You don't need it. Don't. Every second, I just want more Asami. Yeah, I don't know what would have been better for if, you know, I think one thing that Mike and Brian regret and that they've talked about a little bit is wanting to get to that Korra Asami moment earlier, maybe or like, yeah, could it have been a season two thing that plays out into season three and and season four, like. It would have been interesting, or maybe it would Asami have been a is nowhere by the end, really. Like aside from right. the final like aerial invasion, but that's it. She's she's gone. We'll get to season three well, and how mm-hmm. they kind of reconnect, but you could see it there, I think, more than and, we're and not I, talking spoilers, but I, right, but no. I am on the lookout for Korra Asami stuff, and there is a part where Korra is like, Asami, will you take my father back? Like you know, like entrusts her dad to Asami. Right. I'm just I'm looking. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for the moment. Yeah, uh, we're not talking spoilers, but there's some things that are cultural moments mm, that yeah. everybody on the planet wrote about for some reason the day Korra came out on Netflix. So uh, I don't know if that's a spoiler. Uh, we're, still, we're still not talking about it. They know where it's going, Brave. you know, but we, we'll just... Also, yeah. I think to, to honor it like a spoiler is also to, I think, overplay the moment that we get a little bit, which maybe we'll discuss when we get there. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Uh, I, as I said, I, I cheated a little and watched some of season three, and the fighting is so much better in season. And not that this is bad, but it's so good in season. Well, there's three. more fighting, right? There's, there isn't a whole lot of fighting in this. And season. better fluid animation. But yeah. that's. But I was just looking at the Wikipedia, and I was like, oh, it's Studio Mir for every single episode next. Yeah. So yeah, get ready. <laughs> That's so when good. you know you're becoming a true <laughs> anime fan is we can start to tell the differences between different studios. It's you it's guys, like, you did this to it's, me. Uh, it's great. It's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we kind of got through everything in the season. Are there little moments from season two that that stand out to you, or thing like uh, brilliant uh, choices or strange choices? I or? like uh, Kaya and Bumi. Um, sort of coming to the forefront, mm-hmm. which I don't think we mentioned. And then the sort of uh, Kaya's uh, sort of problem with Tenzin, where it's like, when dad died, I went home to take care of mom. And like, where were you? Mm-hmm. And then Boomy has to be constantly proving himself to the memory of his father that he's just as big of his hero as his bending <laughs> siblings. And then that <laughs> seemingly being about nonsense boasts until it isn't. I think is uh, a fantastic little side plot. You, uh, all of that material, as you were describing, Joanna, how it relates to the kind of like 
light and dark, light and dark, or maybe everything is everything um, theme of the, the season. I, I found, I think that's a fascinating observation. And the Tenzin material in this season really yeah. struck me in a way that I don't didn't recall from, from last time. Maybe You're because I'm, now. you know, six or seven years <laughs> older and I'm not necessarily more accomplished. And that scene where Tenzin's like, I've been trying to enter the spirit world my entire life and maybe I just won't. Is like one of the hardest really reminded me of when my daughter just entered the spirit world the other day. <laughs> I, I mean, still can't find. <laughs> <it>. Yeah, <laughs> see ya. Um, I don't know. As a as a creative yeah. person, I, people who listen to this podcast might know I, I did this big interview with this guy Josh Trank this past summer, and that story that I've been working on. Well, almost as long as Cora's been <laughs> off the air. Frankly, <laughs> um, now that I think about it. But for me, that story started from a place about like my creative life and what I think it takes to be someone who creates things, or especially in systems like Hollywood. This guy, Josh, made Fantastic Four, he made Chronicle, and, and he has devoted his entire life to it. He's obsessive. He has, on some level, ruined a lot of parts of his life in order to make the art that he wanted to make. And I, I think about myself a lot in that way. Like, what am I able to sacrifice and what do I give and how hard do I pound myself to get it right and do the best job and and i don't know i think about tenzin in a whole new way now not just as a dad and i'm sure i will think about it in a whole new way in 10 years when my daughter is doing so many more better things than i did as a kid uh, flagellate flagellate um <laughs> but just seeing him be defeated seeing someone be like i can't do this i'm not necessarily the hero of this story mm -hmm. of this moment i think that's a really pretty profound and not necessarily the biggest moment of the season it just really struck me no most definitely and also i uh i feel that i also feel tenzin just looking for his daughter which is just like it is one of those things you know we on the slash filmcast we've joked about people who used to email us being like you won't truly understand interstellar until you've had a kid and uh let me tell you going back and watching a movie like that now or a show like this where your child gets lost uh seemingly like you know for good you can't it is a nightmare for a parent and I feel that connection and that loss so profoundly. So when Tencent goes into the un you know, the place where you'll never return from to save his daughter's soul, that really got to me. And he's carrying her out and he's saving his family. Also, also baby Cora. Poor baby Cora <laughs> in danger in the like Alice in Wonderland you know, yeah. uh, lunch section. Like yeah. it is she's adorable and also like that gets me because I, yeah, this was not planned, but my daughter certainly looks a lot like baby Cora with her tummy out and everything. So it, oh. anytime we get baby Cora, I will, I will relate to that. Are you going to dress your kid up as Cora oh, for Halloween or something at some point? Are you kidding me? I just want to make sure. Are you kidding me? Yeah. She's ready. I want, I want to see that. Deal with it. Yeah. Uh, She's already told me deal with it at one point. So yes. Uh, I just realized, uh, I hadn't realized it when I watched it, that Tenzin loses two of his daughters this season. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, yep. <laughs> Iki, that that episode we should talk about that i love that episode um and when uh do you guys remember that someone drew like fan art of us like with mm -hmm. the with the baby bison yeah. Yeah. bison at the tea party i want the high-res 2020 version of that mm, the blueberry stuff. spice head tea party yeah. oh so cute um yeah but i really i love that episode that's that is the like boomy kaya tenzin episode and I think it's really really incredible and just like I don't know just thinking about like Aang being a great hero in the world but maybe not a great dad I think is a really mm -hmm. 
it's not new, like, right? I, I sort of tweeted about it because uh, I was tweeting about, like, how Harry Potter <laughs> had the same thing in uh, The Cursed Child. <laughs> and uh, someone else, like, tweeted back at me, like, some Han Solo stuff. So it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that our heroes live, live long enough to see yourself become the bad dad of a new franchise. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think that's a really great uh, exploration of, of the humanity of the Avatar. That's what Korra is about even more so than Avatar is like, Mm -hmm. you know, Rava inhabits these messy humans who are messy in their own interesting ways. And like uh, Janet Varney, when she was talking to me for the previous episode of the podcast that went up, uh, you know, she was just like, yeah, like just always striving towards balance. That's the avatars. Like you've got different personalities. You've got Aang versus Korra. Korra so messy and like always running headlong into battle and Aang so hesitant and maybe peaceful to a fault and how, you know, so you, the, the ideal is somewhere in between those people. And they're just always trying to like rebalance themselves and rebalance themselves. As they go. Forward. Once again, just by yeah. Yeah. Once again, Cora learns more yeah. through, uh, as not accomplishing her goals, which I think is a good, is a good, is a good lesson to teach people. Like, if you go out and you think you know what you're going to do and you're a teenager and you have good intentions, that's really the best you could enter a situation with. You're not necessarily going to leave with victory 100% of the time, even if you're the avatar with the spirit of everything that's good living inside of you for generations. <laughs> yeah, this show is really good about, like, getting your first F or not getting into the college you want uh-huh. or not getting someone else beating you for that thing that you wanted in high school so badly. And then what? And trying to, trying to imagine like how you continue. Yeah. And, and today's culture, I mean, I guess this kind of leans into what I was just saying with the Josh stuff, but it was like, do you have to be the best? Do you have to be the very best at, at something to be, to participate in it or right. to pursue it? And what it? is, what is the best? And Isn't is there the always best? somebody better? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, it's even more meaningful today as m- the like crunch of being the best. As society tells you, that you have to be number one. As you have to like strive for to be on a like twenty under twenty list or some shit. Um, don't be the avatar. Just be like <laughs> someone who wants to be good, do good in the world. I feel like uh, I need some more of your ambition patches. I'm like, <laughs> my ambition. Yeah. Or my 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 reflection here. Well, you're you. Well, your ambition without the. Uh, unnecessary pressure you put on yourself. I just okay. I just I just want to say to you, Patches, you're incredible. You do great work. I'm oh. proud of you. I think you have accomplished a shit ton of stuff since the last time we recorded this podcast, and um, you're great. That's all. Be your best self. Be your best self. You do not need. Yeah. Oh, this got so real. It got real. <laughs> but that's what that's what I like about Cora, and that's also what I like about book two. I mean, what is spirituality? What is faith and what is figuring out the world it's a messy season and i think every, the whole show is is messy and it's awesome for that way it's so much better than star wars can we just say it it's so much i would have it is i mean we we've i might have fought you until at the last time we did everything. this podcast eight years ago i might have been like hold up a second we are forging new ground but now after what happened last december you're probably right rise of skywalker did not ruin star wars for me I still it's a different podcast, but you're wrong. It just ruined a certain There's narrative. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we've probably all podcasted about Rise of Skywalker and people we have can go find check Yeah, go check those uh, those uh, those hours of podcast out. Um, and then just rewatch the, the Last Jedi, which is a great film. 
And <laughs> it's a great film. It's good. Let me just say, I will always remember walking out of uh, the Rise of Skywalker screening and just being like so dejected. And I turn around and I see Patches and I see Karen Han and we just look at each other and we're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had it's just amazing. been rained on. And yeah. cold sleet rain, and it I definitely true. got sick. Meanwhile, standing outside for an hour. Yeah. Meanwhile, on the West Coast, uh, Dave and it was like <laughs> Jermaine and Mike Ryan and like who else is at that table? You guys just like huddled around a table and just like talked extreme shit for with people who worked on the movie like As around us. I feel bad about that now, wow. but that's at least good. That's you know well, it happened. It, anyway, uh, patches. <laughs> It was. <laughs> Do you have a what if you were somebody who was watching uh, another book of Cora next week? What what book would you watch? I would watch probably book three. Mm. Next logical step, we're sliding right in there. I think book three actually takes place only a few weeks after the end of it's book so two. Good, guys. Book two. We didn't really talk about the very very end of book two, where Cora decides to undo Juan's choice right she leaves the gate open it's actually kind of a huge bombshell um with major implications we talked a bit in the first uh season about this idea of the villains of Korra being killmongers so this is the black Mm -hmm. panther ending right is sort of like take the lesson of the villain but not to the extreme that the villain took it and Mm -hmm. so that's the choice she makes there at the end Right. Well, that's yeah. also every season of the show, right? Like, did she do that in season one? The villains kind of have a point. Yeah, hey. but she didn't like do anything in season one. That's yeah. true. Yeah, she didn't even she even get to beat the villain. Well, she just, she just. Uh, detaches herself from authority. She thought she should be part of the anti-equalist movement, at least for part. Yeah, uh, yeah, so. but then you know she tries to get. The imperial, the forces involved in a civil war between her dad and her uncle. I, th- I, th- I think yes. It's a, it's a, it's a. I mean, the the decision to keep the portal open is a pretty big decision because they like, have hey, instituted a, they've instituted a president. There's more order in the world that they have created in theory. And then she's like, yeah, I'm just gonna radically change Republic City forever. I wonder if well, the entire world too. Yeah, yeah the entire world. I wonder mm. if they could, if they only had made a book three, they made a book three. Yay. We're going to talk about it the next time that we podcast. Guys, so book three and book four, that. I think, are just huge leaps up. Um, They're bangers. The cannot wait. I uh, cannot wait for Mr. Uh, Henry Rollins. Oh, book yes. Three is so good. So good. So, yeah. Well, with all that in mind, why don't we tell people where they can find us on the internet? In the down moments from podcasting. Uh, Devendra, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about techandgadget.com. I also co-host the Engadget podcast there. And I podcast about movies and TV at Slash Film uh, at the Slash Filmcast. Joanna? Oh, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Um, but my heart will always just be inside the DC fandom forever <laughs> <laughs> i left i left my heart in the dc fandom yeah the dc fandom was fun <laughs> who are you joanna who are you vengeance vengeance mm-hmm. everyone knows my name the rock please just scream at me more about <laughs> black adam <laughs> that's what i want in life uh dave what about you oh you can find me on twitter at da7e you can find me on the storm a lost rewatch podcast yes and prepping myself for the war of the lotus uh next week next time 
Red Lotus. Next time. time. Lotuses. Um, And I am Matt Patches. I work at Polygon, and we cover core there. I actually, by the time this comes out, I may have run an interview with Brian and Mike on the website that you can read. If not, I'll definitely uh, say a lot about talk more about it on the next episode. But um, and I I podcast with Dave at Fighting in the War Room, uh, FightingWarRoom.com, and you can find me on. You can also go to FightingInTheWarRoom.com/slash/Cora for all of this. That is important to know. We do have a huge backlog of episodes. So if you feel like you want even more Koro episode by episode, can't promise they hold up. Very curious what our <laughs> politics conversations were like we back were, then. Uh, someone told me that I, like, I just talk about Buffy a lot. And I'm like, sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds right. I'm actually Listen, surprised that we have. That's how it goes. Talk. We talked a bunch about it on, episode, on book one. But, what other um, like uh, crime fighting teenage, you know, female character yeah. can we really go by? Come on. I mean, now, you gotta go, don't now we have Ray. We can talk about Ray, Ooh. but yeah. Mm. Ray mm. really, you know that J.J. Abrams watched the Legend of Korra. You know, he there was that. this thing where, like, <laughs> he definitely invented on, Ray because on of IMDb, Korra. it erroneously says that he wrote some of uh, the Last Airbender, and I wrote about that as if it were fact in a Vanity Fair article, and then in like an wow. and then in like a Tumblr post, Brian or Mike was like, "We love Joanna Vanity Fair. She's great. This <laughs> this is wrong." Oh, and I was like, oh. no. Oh. No, they're really nice. You about got it. reblog dragged. <laughs> they're really nice about. They're like, we love this piece about Ray and Cora, blah blah. But you know, wow. this is an old apocryphal thing. I actually only found that this year. Uh, they wrote that. it like way back when the Force Awakens came out, but I found it this year for some reason, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> they don't come out of the woodwork that often. I know. Boy oh boy. Just to fact check my uh, Vanity Fair article. Well, on that note, oh, that's a sad note. Where we love what you do, Joanna. Thank Let's you. remind people. Um, and uh, we'll we'll be back next time with a, a, a recap, a review, an interrogation, a reflection on book three. But until then, farewell. 